The text for the sermon this afternoon is Psalm 110, verse 3. Let's read that verse once again. So Psalm 110, verse 3. This is the word of God. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty, from the womb of the dawn you will receive the dew of your youth. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this must have been quite some king. See how David addresses him in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. He is called David's Lord. And then see what this Lord is is told to do. The Lord tells him to sit at his right hand. Then the Lord promises him incredible things. Victory, conquest, and a mighty kingdom. And even that he will be a priestly king who has the honor and responsibility of of leading the people in worship and in the service of the Lord. This is a psalm about the king and what the Lord will do for the king. But in the midst of this this psalm to the king, the the camera pans, so to speak, and and it goes and it focuses on the people, the people that are devoted to this king. And what a people this king has. Verse 3 is is bursting with with magnificent and rich language as it describes this people. We can almost see them standing before the king, ready to fight, dressed in majestic clothing, their very presence serving to add to the glory and honor of the king. If we saw this people apart from, from their king, we would be moved to ask, who would lead a people like that? Who is their king? Now our attention this morning is going to be, addressed, is going to be directed to that people. But we must never lose sight of the fact that this is a psalm about the king. Everything about this people is wrapped up in the king. And the description of the people here in the psalm is is not meant to focus attention on them, but to increase the glory of the king. Now this this psalm is is somewhat unique. It appears to have been originally written by David for Solomon, when Solomon became king in, in 1 Kings 1. This is when David was very old on his deathbed. And David himself speaks of this in, in, in 1 Kings one forty eight. He says there, God has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. So this is a psalm that looks to Solomon. Yet we must say that this psalm does not seem to fit Solomon. It, it's sort of like, like Saul's armor on David when he went to fight Goliath. It doesn't fit him. It's too big, too glorious. Solomon, as great as he was, as glorious as he was, 
does not fill up the promises that we see in this psalm. And then we have the people. They certainly were a great army. And they were loyal and they were glorious. But we must say that they too, like Solomon, don't fully fill up the words of this psalm. So so what is David doing here? How can he speak of Solomon and the people in this way? And the answer is Christ. Everything in this psalm points to Christ. He fills up the words of this psalm to their fullest. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself confirms that he is David's Lord, the one spoken of in Psalm 110. In Matthew 21, 41 to 46, he says this. Peter, the Apostle Peter in Acts 2, 33 to 36, and the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 13, both point to Christ as the fulfillment of this psalm. So strongly does this psalm speak of Christ that many have ignored Solomon and the people. They completely restrict it to Christ. It is only a psalm about Christ, or not only, but but strictly a psalm about Christ. But but if we do this, we, we miss out on some of the beauty of what the Holy Spirit is doing with this psalm. We need to let the text speak. We need to see how God unfolds his promises throughout the history of redemption. You see, the the psalm is a prophecy from the Lord to David's Lord. Now, the translation that we have here hides the fact. But literally, what the first words of the psalm say is, instead of saying, the Lord says to my Lord, What it actually says is, an oracle of the Lord to my Lord. As David lies on his deathbed, it is given to him to see the present through the lens of the future. David is able to go to Christ, so to speak, and then look back at Solomon and the people. He is able to see the promises to his descendants as he looks at Solomon. The promise of Christ bursts through our text. David looks at the people and and he sees, and it was given to him to see what they would be in Christ and for Christ. David describes his people as, as a people who will be part of the glory of that great king. And so this morning, we're going to look at that people and how they glorify the king. Not only how the people of Israel glorified Solomon, but how the New Testament people glorify Christ and how they are part of Christ's glory. And so I proclaim to you the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ as we have it here in Psalm 110 under the following theme. The great king is promised a great people. And we will see three things. They are of a willing character. They are adorned with majestic garments. And finally, they are given as a blessing. So 
So our first point then, they are of a willing character. And this is the first thing that strikes us when we look at this people. They, they are troops. They are fighters, soldiers. They are willing. There is no sense in our text of conscription. They weren't drafted. The king is told here, your people will be willing. And the sense in our text is that they offer themselves freely. They come before the king and they bow before him and they freely offer themselves. And the word used here is actually the same word that is used to describe what is called the free will offering. This was an offering that that the people of Israel would make when they had their festivals, as as well as when they brought other sacrifices. These free will offerings were, were offerings that simply spoke of their thankfulness to the Lord and their love for God. When the tabernacle was built, for instance... The same idea of freely offering is present. The the Israelites freely gave so that the tabernacle could be built. And this is a phrase that, that speaks to offering oneself freely to the Lord. But here, it is used to speak of freely offering oneself to the king. So this is a phenomenal picture at two levels. That the people offer themselves freely but also that the leader, the king, is able to receive what is usually done in relation to the Lord. Both the giver and the recipient are being spoken of as extraordinary. The picture painted here in in Psalm 110 verse 3 is is also expressed in the song of Deborah in Judges 5 verse 2. Deborah and Barak, after they defeat the enemies of Israel, sing these words, When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, same word, praise the Lord. The idea of a people freely offering themselves to a faithful leader is something that Israel looked toward during the time of the judges. Deborah and Barak, and indeed the entire book of Judges, looks toward a time when the Lord would be praised by a leader who truly leads, leads in the way the Lord desires, and not like the kings of the other nations. They look forward to that time when a people will follow the leader and freely give themselves in the service and worship of the Lord. The first king that Israel had was a failure. Saul Saul was a king who did not lead in a way that glorified God, and the people half-heartedly followed him. But David, he was a leader after the Lord's heart. He led the people in battle, and they followed. And they not only followed in battle, they followed in worship. David was a king who led in worship as well. It is a beautiful picture. But here in Psalm 110, David looks farther. The words of the royal officials who congratulate David on Solomon's coronation seem to echo what David is is saying in this psalm. They say to him there, 1 Kings 147, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. 
David looks forward as he looks at Solomon to the one who would be the king that he could not be. And Solomon was that king that David couldn't be. He was the one who could build the temple, something David was not permitted to do. And the people, they were content and blessed under Solomon. They were secure. Israel reached its peak under Solomon. But at the same time, we know that Solomon and the people do not fill up the promise of this prophecy. We, we see that Solomon fails to be that leader that he should have been. And we see that the people do not freely offer themselves to him as his reign goes on. Those, those first chapters of First Kings are, are glorious to read. You see the glory of Israel, the glory of Solomon, the glory of the people described. Then you read 1 Kings 5.13 that he conscripted Israelites to work on his projects. And later on we find out 1 Kings 12.4 that when Rehoboam his son becomes king that, that conscripting, that being forced to work for the king they chafed under it. And so they rebel against Solomon's sons. They were forced to work for Solomon and this is something that leads to the kingdom being divided. The people are no longer willing to serve. So we must look beyond Solomon and the people and see Christ and the new people of God. In both Israel's success and failure, we see Christ. We see the need for Christ and we see how Christ fully fills this song. David goes there and he looks back at Israel and sees the promises to them. And as David looks back and sees his son and sees Israel, we are caught in that view as well. The unfolding of the promises to Israel in Psalm 110 remain there for us. Psalm 110 speaks of a people of a willing character who are that way because of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a king who is worthy of their service, a king who they love to serve, a people who are moved to freely offer themselves to that great king in his day of battle. And that phrase, on the day of his battle. That, that brings us to look a little more closely at the timing of when these people freely offer themselves. Now the sense given in the text is this is done at a time of battle. A time connected with all of the actions that the rest of the psalm speaks about as it describes what the Lord will do for the king. The Lord will, will act for the king and the king will be the Lord's tool to accomplish his purposes. The Lord wields the king like a club, like a scepter. And the people will be there with the king on that day. They will share in the fight willingly. And this is the wonder of what the text looks towards. It looks forward to a son of David leading the people of Israel as one who represents God 
and who acts with God doing God's work. And the people are part of that. They share in it. They are not subjects who are a footstool for the king like the enemies are. They are not the ones that are crushed by the scepter. They are not the bodies that are piled up in the valley. They are the ones who go together with their king and fight. Fight the battle. They don't stand on the sidelines and simply watch the story of redemption unfold. The Lord says to their Lord, your people will be co-workers with you. And we share today in that co-working aspect with our Lord and Savior. But we have so much more than the Israelites had in the times of Solomon and David. They were so blessed to have the reality of a representative of God. God's representative, God's king, God's chosen ruler leading them. And they were so blessed to be able to participate in the, in the taking hold of the promises of the covenant. But today, we see the son of David, the exact representation of God leading us as our king. And we participate with a willing spirit that is worked in us by the spirit. Remember that. You are co-workers, co-soldiers. Look to your king. Look to Christ in faith and and exercise that, that willing character that has been given you by the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't stand on the sidelines. Enter the arena. Take up your sword and fight. Be who you are. We, that people, fight with him. Fight with Christ and, and serve freely on the day of his battle, the day where he shows his strength. But there is more to this people And that leads us to our second point, their majestic garments. Now the willing character of this people is impressive, but so also is the way they are dressed. And the language used here in Psalm 110 verse 3 is is somewhat unfamiliar, or at least uncommon. Arrayed in holy majesty. Now what exactly does that mean? The sense given here in our text is is of a sort of official or majestic military clothing or uniform. And and whatever sort of clothing is in view here, splendor and majesty are, are, are wrapped up in their very essence. This people, this army of a willing character is, is complemented with, with an attire that matches and even enhances what they already are. And then paired with this this sense of the majestic is holiness. So so the description of this this uniform, this attire of the willing army is is filled out and expanded. This majesty that is with the troops is, is something that comes from God. Holiness, that is something that can only come from God. 
It's not something that we can make for ourselves. No garment, no clothing of itself can be majestic enough to warrant the description of holy. We have here garments that have been given a quality that comes from outside. The only one who can add the description holy to anything is God. Now, now holy has a, a double sense, and both those senses are, are closely related. Holiness, on the one hand, means pure and without sin or stain, but it also has the sense of, of being dedicated for service to the Lord. And the two work together. Now, in the Old Testament, the idea of holy garments were connected to the priesthood. Aaron and his sons were were given special garments to wear so that they could stand before God. These garments, they had to be free from sin and stain, but they also marked the priests as set aside to the service of God. And and we also see this language used in, in Psalm 96, verse 9. There, it's interestingly used to, to describe the families of nations. So not Israel, but the nations of the world who stand before the Lord in worship. They are to stand in holy and majestic attire. So the people, that army, they, they offer themselves freely to the king and they will be dressed in garments that mark them apart to the Lord. Garments that have a priestly aspect to it. Garments that speak not only of fighting, but of worshipping. This will be a priestly people, a priestly army, a kingdom of priests. And this is reinforced by the very next verse, verse 4 of Psalm 110, where, where the king is told that he will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The king will be a priest who serves the Lord and the people will be with him in that. And we can see this with Solomon, 1 Kings 8. There he plays the role of the priest. He he offers sacrifices, thousands of sacrifices at the dedication to the temple. And then he prays, he intercedes before the Lord for the people. Another priestly task. And then another priestly task, he blesses the people. What a picture. A faithful people with a faithful and priestly king. It's beautiful. Yet again, we know that Solomon and the people do not fill up this prophecy. Solomon eventually churns after other gods, and the Lord is angered and tells Solomon... 1 Kings 11, 11, that this willing people will be torn from his hands. And the people, they follow Solomon. They, they fail in their role as a priestly people. They follow their ruler. They fail in their office of being set aside to the Lord. They follow other gods and bring the name of the Lord into disrepute. Those majestic garments Psalm 110, verse 3, are soiled. But David sees from the vantage point of fulfillment. He sees the chosen people who are that royal priesthood of 1 Peter 2, 9. 
He sees the people who have put on the new self. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. He looks ahead to the people of Revelation 7, 9. The people who stand before the Lamb in, in white robes that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He looks even farther ahead and he sees the people of Revelation 19, 11 to 16, who are the armies of heaven, who follow the white rider, follow Christ, and are dressed in fine white linen. Solomon and the people point us ahead to that people. They point to a people who have put on Christ. And you are that people. You are holy. Be holy. Having been made holy through Christ, we are called to be holy. If if you have been living in a way that does not befit these robes, repent. Confess your sins and return to Christ. If you have been clothing yourself in robes that, that set you aside to the service of another master in which defile you with sin, put off those robes and confess and profess your faith in Christ. Why would you try to exchange the robes that you have been given in Christ for something inferior? Why would you go anywhere or do anything that does not fit with these majestic robes? You are dressed in majestic and holy garments that identify you as the people of Christ. Live as that people. And these people have a special meaning to Christ. And that leads us to our final point. They are given as a blessing. The final phrase of this verse echoes what was said in the first part of the verse. It says, From the womb of the dawn you will receive the dew of your youth. Now, this is basically a parallel description of the people, and it restates what this people of a willing character and majestic garments are. Now, these words... They are somewhat mysterious and and difficult to grasp. What what does that mean? From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. And the Hebrew is, interestingly, even more difficult to understand. However, the sense of the verse is very clear. And it's plain and it's incredibly beautiful. This willing, majestic and holy army They are given to the king as a blessing. And every word that is used in this last part of the verse resonates with covenant blessings. It's just that every word is packed from the womb of the dawn. Here, two ideas are brought together and create a rich image. There is this sense of of new life that comes with the new morning. 
the womb, the source of life, the, the, the promise of offspring. It's one of the primary blessings of the covenant. Think of Genesis 17 and the promise to Abraham or the, or the blessings that are given to the tribes in Deuteronomy 28. It's a phrase loaded with meaning for Israel. In Deuteronomy 28, 4 and 11, the womb and offspring are referred to as a blessing the Lord will give to his faithful people. And the rising sun in the morning speaks of of newness, and with it, in times of blessings and abundance, it brings dew. Dew is, is a sign of the richness of the Lord's blessings on Israel. Deuteronomy 33, verse verse 13 and 28, for instance. It is is an image that is connected with with manna. And this manna that comes from heaven and which which appears with the morning sun. Our text is telling the king how this army is to be to the king, how it is to be a blessing. They descend as a rich and refreshing and reviving blessing upon the king. The morning sun comes and with it there is the dew of a willing and majestic people, a people of youthful vitality. Youth, in our text, it, it's a, it represents the prime of life. These people, they don't come as weak fighters. No, these are vigorous fighters in the prime of life. And they are given to the king. Now this this idea of the people being given to the king, this image of them descending like the blessing of morning dew, adds to the wonder of the people. This is not simply a people who are ruled and subjected by the king, a people who are a burden, a people who chafe at authority. No, the sense here is of a king who is receiving a people as a gift. They adorn him as a beautiful gift from the Lord. Solomon and the people were magnificent together. When the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon in 1 Kings 10, part of her wonder is at the people who serve him. She says to Solomon, How happy your men must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. The the people stood with Solomon, the Lord gave them to Solomon, and they descended on him as a blessing that adorned his reign. They were a foretaste of the relationship between Christ and his renewed people. And yet we know that this does not last Solomon is is not worthy of the adornment and it is taken away. And the people, they lose their character as a blessing and they become a burden. This, This repeated failure of Solomon and the people, time and time again, this this failure, it strains us to look ahead to that future king and to that future people a people who are given to Christ as a gift, to the people of God who are given to our Savior as His people, as the elect people of God. 
Our Lord Jesus speaks of these people in John 17, 9, who the Father has given to him. The people who are sealed and who can only be claimed by the Lamb. Revelation 5. And we don't have to weep with John, who wept in Revelation 5, wondering who these people would go to. We know that Christ is the King, and that we are sealed and secure as His people. We stand with Him in victory at the end of time, as we stand around the throne, adorning His reign. Now, we don't see this reality in its fullness. We don't see it today. But we look forward to the day. This this psalm, this oracle of the Lord, to David's Lord, it still holds promise to us. It wasn't strictly looking at Christ, and once it came to Christ, it stopped having significance for us. We look at ourselves today and we see the riches of what we have in Christ. We see the work of the Spirit as he, as he renews us. And we know that the Lord sees us through Christ, that he sees us washed in Christ's blood and wearing clean and majestic robes, robes with no sin or stain. But we know that not everything is under his feet yet. We know that we have not reached the end And that we have not reached the ultimate glory of who we are to be. So we today still look forward to another day. A day when we will ride behind the white rider as a victorious army. To a day when the battle is over. We often look at ourselves today and our sinfulness. And we forget that in God's eyes we are a great people that he has given to his son. Whatever you face on earth, whatever has happened to you, however the world, Satan, and our own sinful flesh, however they oppress us and, and push us down, however they rob you of the joy of your fellowship with God, never forget who you are. You are that people. Be that people. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing hymn 55, the verses 1, 2, and 5. And if you are able, please rise.